We all have bucket lists. As a lifelong sports fan, mine is full of tons of different sporting events and venues, from the NBA, NFL, Olympics, and beyond. However, my greatest bucket list item is something I want to share with the world and fans like me. What if you could attend a home college football game for all 130 and counting FBS programs? Seems crazy, right? Join me, your host, Bobby Wilson, as I take you along for the ride to see all the FBS venues and more. This is the TNT College Football Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the very next episode of the TNT College Football Podcast. I'm your host, Bobby Wilson. Glad to be back on tonight. Hope everybody's doing well. I hope everybody's getting uh, excited for this coming weekend. We have the Heisman Trophy presentation and... More importantly, we have the Army-Navy game and what that means to the world of college football. I, I am joined tonight by one of my good friends, Omar. Uh, Omar, thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, thanks for the, thanks for the invite, Bobby. I mean, it's, it's always great, you know, uh, being a guest on someone's podcast and reaching out, even though you've been so gracious in the past. And I'm excited for, uh, for our, our partnerships in the future. Yes, I, I cannot wait. I always enjoy joining your show. Uh talking anything and everything football it's it's always it's always a blessing i mean it's why we do what we do exactly same to you bobby well for my listeners who don't know there's a reason why i have you on this to talk about army navy so can you tell the listeners a little bit about your background yes so uh first and foremost uh, i grew up being an army an army football fan because uh you know, young me, the first ever Army football game I watched on TV was uh, 2005, Army versus Iowa State, when it was a Friday night nationally televised game. And um, earlier that day, or like that week, my uh, my dad got me a magazine from the mall. Uh, it was like Sporting News' top 50 college football programs. And I was just enamored by the Army page because I thought, with both my parents being Army veterans, um, the staff started retiring Borja and then my mom being a sergeant in the Army coming from Jamaica, um, I had thought that the Army Black Knights were the whole Army's football team. So I was like, I'm like, I have to be fans of, uh, uh, of this team. So I watched Army play hard that night, and they couldn't break their, uh, their at-the-time, 33-year-old streak, uh, our losing streak against AP, AP-rate teams. But from then on, I, I've loved Army. I've um, been a fan uh, pretty much, yeah, since that point. Uh, and then went on to... Uh, to, to go to go to the academy uh, was cadet graduated in 2021. Um, you know, I, I'm so I'm so to tell people that because like there's always a, uh, you know, in the army there's a sort of um, kind of stereotype for for academy people that they're that they're know it alls. And uh, I'm very much a type B personality and uh, just sit back and let the people with actual experience, you know, um, you know, you know, do do the job. I guess like. But do the job, and like you know, I just I just learned from that. But I mean, all that aside, lifelong Army fan, graduated from the academy, and for me, Army Navy was always the start of the Christmas season. You know, especially since it moved to uh, the second week of December. Um, and I know we're going to talk about this later on in the podcast, but you know, I went through the pain of the streak. The streak was pretty much most of my childhood and, and teen years. Um, so yeah, that, I'm just this week is just, it's great for me. Even in a year like this, when Army's having it down here, uh, there's no bowl to play for, but there's there's still the most important bowl to be Navy. Absolutely. Well, and, and the first thing I want to say is thank you to your family and yourself for uh, the service that you guys and the dedication that you guys are making as as 
in the army and then you as a cadet and everything. I mean, just, just uh, first off, all my respect to you guys. I, I think, thank you so much, Bobby, for your support. I mean, uh, it's kind of funny, just like what I, what I tell my girlfriend, like a lot of the days, you know, it, it's just, we, we do stuff that, you know, normal people do at, do at work, just like wait for tasks to come. But when, when the call comes, you know, we just have to be ready. Um, but I appreciate your support. I just see it for me. It's just another way for uh, for me to make a living. I'm just making a living like anyone else in this world. That's that's a great way to look at it. Uh, you're you're doing it in a much different way than most of us, of course. But it's it's, it's got to be a really rewarding thing for you, though. Absolutely. I, I mean, it, it is like. Um, I mean, the first thing that a lot of people in the army tell you is that it's a, it's a people business, and I just I just love the people I work with. Honestly, like there's times when it's like the uh, the tasks at hand sometimes are just like not optimal, um, but you know it's just the people that, that you work with that just make you great. So um, it's definitely rewarding. Absolutely, and I I I can second that too. Like me with my background and coaching, like it's it's all it's all the people that you work with. I mean whether we're doing what you're doing or in my case coaching in the past and then doing what i'm doing now it, it, it it's all it's all about the people yeah absolutely 100 percent. i mean it's a, i mean like yeah we just sound like broken record but i mean as it, it just makes it so rewarding yes yes well i, I would love to hear uh maybe some of the history and tra tradition of this rivalry from, from your side of things, from somebody who's been a part of it for so long. Yeah. So, um, it, it's kind of, it's kind of surreal. So for me, just watching it on TV, of course, like I dreamed of playing an army Navy game one day, but never quite had the talent or the size, mostly the talent to play either, um, either army football on the, on the big team or on the lightweight team, because I was kind of like, uh, as I grew some muscle, lightweight football kind of became, uh, you know, not within reach with me without me, without me, like, honestly, quite frankly, starving myself. But um, That's no good. But, yeah, it's just, yeah, it, it's just surreal. Like, the first one, uh, the first Army-Navy game that, that I was uh, a cadet for, the 2017 game that happened in the snow, uh, it's just unforgettable feeling, just, like, marching on the field. And then, of course, after you're done marching on, making fun of the midshipmen and how crooked their formations are, so <laughs> um, it, it, it's all it's all the fun of that. It's like the pageantry. It's it's kind of in this day and age uh, with the transfer portal, which I mean, I saw. I mean, I guess listen to your podcast about uh, the transfer portal you talked about uh, earlier this week, or uh, I guess earlier today, uh, where it's like there are army players transferring, but it's like everyone that stays is there for a reason, you know. And it's it's a it's a different reason than a lot of college football. And I'm not knocking all the players that transfer and search for better opportunities, and all the players benefiting from NIL. But it's really like kind of like the last, um, I guess, forefront of amateurism. Uh, even though I, I mean, I'm not sure how, what the regulations are right now with uh, with cadets making NIL money. I, I'm totally open to uh, local businesses and, and I guess national businesses. You know, signing on deals with the guys like Jacoby Buchanan or Tiger Tyler. But it, again. I guess back to my point, it's just like, you know, kind of a throwback in this ever-changing phase of college football. Now, that's an interesting point that you bring up there about the, the NIL aspect with with any of the service academies. And just what it, I agree with you that that there should be that should be allowed. But I, I also, like you said, I don't know uh, the rules and all the all the stuff that they have in place 
at all the service academies. But I mean, I agree with you. I mean, it's it's like the last glimmer of hope to uh, what I guess we could say football used to be. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, if you just look at, I mean, the past, Army Navy was always uh, pretty much like one of the last games of the season, too. I mean, just like, and, and, and as we talk about the college football calendar kind of shifting with a 12 team playoff where like the season might be shifted up earlier, I think Army Navy will still remain one of those last games because uh, Army Navy's gone through significant, I mean, yeah, significant date shifts in the past. Like, uh, all the way up until the early 80s, the game was played on the last Saturday of November. And uh, I'm sure you know this, Bobby, but most most of the college football season stopped the uh, the second to last Saturday of November in those days. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then going into the 80s and 90s, the game was the first Saturday of November until the mid-2000s, where it shifted to its second Saturday date. So I think it'll remain the spotlight game in this ever-changing time. And I think college football kind of needs it, too, especially in a period where everything is so playoff focused everything's hyper focused on the playoff that that's kind of sad we're missing out on the good stories i agree with that and i know that that's something in like the the questions that i sent you before this like it with it being that second saturday in december i mean that that's always that's synonymous with army navy football especially within the past 20 years plus and the heisman trophy also being awarded that day as well uh, and, and you kind of talked about this a little bit, but do, do you really think that the Army Navy game could ever be moved because of like the future ramifications come moving forward? Yeah, yes, I do. Um, I think if the college football calendar shifts, I think Army Navy will shift with it. But uh, I think I, I read either whether it was Sports Illustrated talking about the um, the upcoming change or the potential changes in the college football calendar with championship weekend being on Thanksgiving weekend instead of the first Saturday of December, where instead of having, uh, you know, championship weekend on the first Saturday of December, you have Army-Navy that weekend, and then uh, championship weekend on the first Saturday of, uh, or excuse me, on Thanksgiving weekend. So I, I can see something like that happening, or happen, but I think um, if it shifts, it'll shift kind of still as a standalone game, honestly, um, and I think college, will, college football will be willing to work with it as well. Uh, so, yeah. As they should, they should work with it. I mean, this this rivalry is, if it's not the best rivalry in college football, it is one of the best rivalries. Just what it means to the sport. I mean, it goes back way back into the eighteen hundreds. I mean, this is a this is a huge deal. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. And and again, like we talked beforehand, like um, you know, this year this year's game isn't exactly like relevant towards polls or even bowls for that matter. But there's years. Where I mean, this game's relevant in its own sense, like in a historic sense. Like in 2018, uh, where Army was, Army came into that game at, at nine and two, and they ended up beating Navy, and they ended up winning the Lambert Trophy for their first Lambert Trophy since Pete Dawkins won the Heisman. So there's still like our Army Navy is still relevant on on some scales. I mean, beyond it just being the Army Navy game. So here here's an interesting thing that i've i've thought about in the past before that from the navy perspective with navy playing in the aac what if they played in the aac title game the week before the army navy game and then they turn around the next week and then they play army like i I, it obviously hasn't happened yet but i i think that would just be a pretty crazy scenario if that if it did happen oh sorry to catch off body i'm sorry no no you're good yeah, so it, it did happen once, actually. Um, 
And I'm kind of sad that you don't remember this year because this is the year the streak was broken in 2016. And it may have been one of the reasons why the streak was broken. Uh, of course, for, for those that aren't aware, Navy beat Army from 2002 to 2015, 14 games in a row. But Navy had played the week before in the AAC title game against Temple. And that's the game, and I apologize to Navy fans listening, but that's the game where Will Wirtz and Deshaun Romine, uh, Will, Will, sorry, Will Wirtz, great quarterback that year that ran for over 20 touchdowns uh they were injured on both the same play and worth was out for the rest of the game and the rest with with romine uh so navy was starting their third string quarterback against army they only had one week of rest going into the army navy game and it might have played a role uh so um it, it's not unprecedented it, it is rare but it is definitely something uh army not joining a conference uh, that that possibility of maybe going in, but um, it is something that that weighs on the mind of Navy fans and I guess Army fans as well. I can't believe I forgot that. I mean, right when you said that, I'm like, wait a second, you're exactly right. That did happen. <laughs> so, I, yes, it, it, but that was another one of my questions too. When it comes to, do you see Army potentially joining a conference in the future with with the, the heavy shift to the playoff and and a a team from the uh, the G five having an opportunity to make a make a spot in the playoff? Do you think Army would try to get in on that, or what do you, what are your thoughts on that? Well, for me, I think it's per, I really think it's beneficial for Army to join a conference now. Um, I think, so I, I do enjoy independence. I enjoy the national schedule Army plays, and I enjoy uh, the amount of power conference games that Army plays in some years. Like next year, Army has Syracuse, Boston College, LSU, and Wake Forest. This is the best, that's the best schedule we've had <laughs> since 2015. Um, but with that caveat in mind, uh, next year we're also scheduling two FCS opponents. So it's, again, the same type of story. And, and in fact, scheduling... Scheduling as an independent, it, it's hurt Army, honestly. Like, believe it or not, Army, of course, is a national brand. Like, they're not having the struggles that schools like UMass or New Mexico State uh, are having or had in New Mexico State joining a conference. But Army's having their struggles, too. They've scheduled two FCS teams every single year except for twenty, except for 2017, um, since 2014, since the playoff began. So it, it's definitely a lingering problem, like the scheduling. So obviously joining a conference helps that. And I think as well, too, just getting that with the six conference champions in the playoffs, the top six conference champions, I think the access is definitely there. Uh, I think the group of five is on a much more is on a much more level playing field with each other. I don't think the American towers as much over the rest of the group of five as they did before. I think easily in a year in a year like this where Army say goes eleven and one, maybe twelve and one, winning the MAC. I think they would definitely be a pick over Tulane per se, or maybe right. a three loss UCF. Uh, where with some help, I mean, with honestly not that much help, Army could get that sixth playoff spot uh, by joining a conference like the MAC. And I and I know Bobby, uh, you being a huge UConn fan, something I've talked about before with uh, with other friends is you know UConn and Army joining as a package deal and kind of giving that north giving the MAC that northeast corridor um, and and I guess opening up the possibility of the MAC championship game going to like you know either MetLife or. Uh, yeah, I guess MetLife being like the only stadium, but yeah, MetLife uh, in the future kind of opening up that kind of New York City market for the MAC. But um, I guess yeah, yeah, that's my long answer. I think it's definitely more uh, enticing for Army to join a conference to 
Um, and, and they're they're really familiar with the Mac. Like uh, from I think from 2005, I think it was from 2005 to 2018, uh, Army had played a Mac school every single year as an independent. So Army is super familiar with the Macs, and there's like some ongoing series too with those schools. I live in Mac country, so I, I any any team that wants to join the Mac, I'm for because that that brings it to my neck of the woods, and I'm again I'm all for that. So, is that the conference you could see Army joining? Is there some? Is there another conference that you could see, like maybe Conference USA or something like that? So I think I think I think it's Mac or nothing. I think Conference USA may not be an option for Army, considering that Army was in Conference USA from True. 1998 to 2004. And additionally, too, I think I think what they have to what Army has to get around is the weeknight games. So I think if there is a way for Army. And maybe t- army and maybe three other schools to sort of be like locked in as as weekday only schools in November. Um, I'm not. I I, th- I think I do think UConn would be opposed to uh, to playing weekday or weeknight games as well. So um, maybe maybe they can be protected. You know, uh, I guess weekend schools or weekend playing schools in November. But the, for me, it's the Mac or bus because Conference USA. I just I just don't think the fan interest would be there for Army. Um, in Conference USA, I mean, there's not really any natural rivals there. Any, I mean, there's, there's not really any geographic rivals. Um, the only thing that's kind of close to a rival they would have is like UTEP with a Fort, Li- Fort Bliss being down here in El Paso in my neck of the woods. Mm-hmm. So for selfish reasons, I would enjoy that for Army. But otherwise, there's just no other kind of benefit to joining Conference USA. I I agree. I agree with that. I I, I think. And I've thrown this around with some UConn people too, talking about the Mac, and then throwing UMass in there too, with the just the potential for that. I know UMass has a history in the Mac too, albeit a not very good history, but nonetheless, I, I think I think what you said there, I think there's something that, that can be grown from that, though. I think so too, and I think the Mac can benefit from having a national brand in its conference, um, because I, I think something I always think about is. Western Michigan, the year after they went to the Cotton Bowl, that did honestly nothing for their brand because the next year they were left out of the bowl game after being six and six. So um, they could definitely use a national brand, and I and I do think the MAC would be willing to make some concessions for Army uh, if they if they if Army was ever willing to join. Right, because like you said, it it brings a brand that that they just don't have. Yeah, exactly. So I mean. Uh, but I think I think it just goes back to the, to a large discussion where it's like there's not really a good fit for Army where it's like the lack of a northeastern FBS conference really hurts Army honestly uh, where it's like they, they would have to kind of be in a spot where like hey they'd have to negotiate about not playing weekday games uh, for the in the MAC so um, I, I guess we'll see I, I guess that's kind of a cop out right now but I guess we'll see in the coming years. So here's the answer. Let's just let all these all the conference realignment take its toll and then we'll form our own Northeast conference. Exactly. That's what I'm hoping for. I mean, I, I grew up in Massachusetts. I, I was a big East kid. Uh, used to always watch, uh, always watch Syracuse in the mid two thousands when Greg Robinson, uh, rest in peace was coach. And they would always be uh, the syndicated game of the week. Cause none of the cable networks wanted to air Syracuse at that time. So, uh, I, I'm a big East kid and I long for, for some semblance of the big East. I would love that too. <clears throat> well, you you, you kind of mentioned we've mentioned this a little bit already, but we have to talk about the the streak 
uh, from 2002 to 2015. Uh, like you said, that, that was when you were growing up a part of this. I mean, how difficult was it to live through that? So I, I guess, I guess we can just go through like every, every other streak that I remember. The first army Navy game I remember watching on TV was an Oh five one. Um, and army lost that one 42 to 23. Um, that, that seems bad, but that's not as bad as it would get or as it had gotten before as, Army had lost fifty-eight to twelve in two thousand two. Craig Candido ran for seven touchdowns for Nate, or yeah, ran for six touchdowns and threw for another for Navy. Uh, the next year, Army went zero and thirteen and lost thirty-four to six. So that, that's not as bad bad as that it, as it had gotten. But um, yeah, so oh five was pretty bad. Oh uh, six, you know, it wasn't a blowout, but Navy kind of collapsed. Our Army kind of collapsed in that one. Oh seven and oh eight were just bad years that I remember. Um, 07, uh, I mean, Army Army had not ran the option yet, but they got blown out 38-3 to uh, in Baltimore against Navy. In 08, that one was, was uh, the first one that I kind of, you know, my I guess my emotions kind of kind of bled out after that one because uh, Navy ran up and down the field on Army. That, that was Army's first year uh, running the triple option again after, uh, after, after, I think, nine years of not running it. And... Army had this great fullback, Colin Mooney, that I that I had loved as a uh, what grade was I in? As as a fourth grader, I mean, he had the Army single season rushing record at fullback was just amazing. And then Navy just shut him down. So I remember after that one, after Navy had won thirty four to nothing, I uh, I crossed out the name of every single graduating Navy senior and uh, threw my football magazine magazine in the trash after that. So that was hard. Um, 09 may have been even harder. Because Army was up for bowl eligibility, um, if they had won, they had a spot in the Eagle in the Eagle Bank Bowl when it was played in an RFK. Of course, the Eagle Bank Bowl now being the military bowl, but Army Army lost seventeen to three. Uh, fun fact: Alejandro Villanueva, always been Villanueva, the Pro Bowl left tackle, was starting a receiver for Army at that time. That's it was amazing. A different time in his career. <laughs> um, 2010, 2010 was also hard too because um, Army Army was. Uh, they're they're driving for a score in the late second quarter. They were down by um, by two touchdowns at that time, and their quarterback, Army's quarterback Trent Steelman, went for a quarterback ISO, and he ended up fumbling the ball into the arms of Navy safety Wyatt Middleton, who proceeded to run the ball back for a 99 yard touchdown and ending Army's hopes for a for a comeback um, and end to the streak. So that that was hard. Probably the most heartbreaking one for me was the 2012 game where. I'm sure. I'm sure you've seen the fumble yep. that um, on the on the exchange with Trent Stillman and Larry Dixon, which led to Trent Stillman in a senior year crying on the sideline, um, and my dad and I cried with him on the couch. Um, that that one that one I remember fondly. Now that it's true, so because my my sisters and mother had gone Christmas shopping that day, and they came back to see my dad and I sobbing on the couch, and they're they're wondering what had happened. So. Um, yeah, but I guess just stories like that kind of kind of fill the, the streak. It was painful, which made the 2016 game so much sweeter. And then, uh, of course, it helped too with Army going three and one uh, as me with me with me being a cadet. So um, I, I will say, like um, Army's still catching up in the rivalry, but I mean, ever since even before the streak ended, you saw that the rivalry is getting much more even. So um, the streak brought, brought publicity, but in the end, I, I don't think it was overall great for the rivalry. What was it like in 2016? Uh, 2016, it was it was amazing, honestly. Um, 
I mean, I, I, th- I think that was probably the, the best high for the Army program in almost 20 years because Army had already been confirmed to go to a bowl game, their first bowl game in six years, in, uh, in Jeff Munkin's third year. Um, so the high was there. We're riding the high from that as Army fans. Um, and then just finally beating Navy uh, as well. In, in a year that, that was sparked a tragedy, um, Army had lost their starting corner, um, Brandon Jackson as well. So um, definitely, definitely a year that was sparked it. It, that that was Martin tragedy that had a great ending. So it, it just felt amazing. Um, I always knew that Army would end the streak, but it was just a matter of when. And they had come so close on so many occasions. Well, I think I think you made it abundantly clear why I decided to have you on the show to talk about this rivalry. Just because, I mean, just to hear your passion when it comes to this rivalry. It's special. I mean, obviously it's special. We all know that, but like coming from you, like I can tell how important this is. Yeah, I appreciate it, and and I mean, like as I've matured emotionally, like you know, there like there's there's years like this where it's like, I mean, I don't I don't go to the academy, you know. It's like it's just it's you know it's another week of life. This is like deep down inside. I'm just I'm thinking about the game, you know. I'm thinking about the game, and you know, I just I just want you know my black knights to be navy, you know. <laughs> so uh, I do appreciate it. I, I just think about myself when I was a kid. Uh, I'm growing up in my complete hatred for Ohio State, and just. Uh, growing up as a kid, Michigan with Charles Woodson, just knocking them off. And then for there was a good stretch there where Michigan was beating them pretty handily. But then there was a stretch more recently where Ohio State was just handing it to Michigan every year. So, I mean, I, I understand what you're talking about. Yeah, I mean, that's just a great thing about rivalries. I don't think you really get that in, in the pro game, too. No. I mean, I, I'm not... No, I mean, I'm, I'm just frankly not sure if you get that in the pro game. So, yeah, like, I mean, I'm, I'm glad we can both relate on that. <laughs> well, I, I, there's, I looked up a couple, uh, just because I, I don't know the rivalry as well as you do. I mean, so I, I, I looked up a handful of years just uh, just in the in the history of the rivalry, and some of the things that stood out to me was, like, from 1894 to eight. 1898 there was no army navy game and it was because there was almost a duel between uh the the army and navy after the game like do you know more about the story like i tried to look into it some more i didn't like see a whole lot but i was just like that's amazing (laughs) um i i don't i don't know more so i've heard the story but i've never really looked into it honestly um, I'm not sure like what the root of it was, and I'm not sure what caused the, the gentleman to not engage in the duel. But I have heard that story before, and um, I, I guess that it shows it just it just means more, honestly, to steal the SEC's phrase. Right. <laughs> I, I just read about that. I'm like, that is amazing. I'm like, I feel like I need to look into this more. <laughs> I, I do too. Yeah, I definitely do too. Then another one that I was intrigued by just because of where I live. Uh, I live in Illinois now, so the 1926 game at Soldier Field, where they dedicated the stadium, which I thought that was very interesting. Yes, and um, to date, that is Navy's only national championship. Um, I, I, I don't want to be I don't want to be a jerk and rubbing rubbing Army's uh, you know more national titles. <laughs> uh, I've already seen like a like a homer, but that game too. That game is also famous for another reason because. Uh, in attendance was Newt Rockney, and Newt Rockney chose not to coach his team that day 
thinking that they would easily beat Carnegie Tech. But Carnegie, Carnegie Tech upset Notre Dame in one of the greatest upsets uh, of all time in college football. One of the more underrated upsets uh, doesn't really get enough attention. So that, that's another fun fact as well. But Navy ended up tying and uh, winning a share of the national title with, I think, Lafayette in 1926. Arguably, one of the, arguably the greatest upset in the history of sports, if we're being honest. Oh, absolutely, and um, yeah, like it, it's just it's just almost unheard of too. It's like college ball back then was just such a trip. Like, imagine the coach choosing not to coach his team right. just to see, <laughs> you know, the game of the century. Like Nick Saban not coaching uh, when they play the FCS team before the Iron Bowl. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, it's just crazy. I, I just can't imagine it today. It, it it is it's 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 a like mind blowing to think about really. <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> uh, a couple more of them that stood out to me was 1944 and 1945, where both teams were ranked number one and number two each year. I mean, there's not very many rivalries that can say that they had one one versus two matchup, but this matchup was back to back years. I mean, that's amazing. Yeah, um, and the funny thing about that is like everyone remembers Mr. Inside and Mr. Outside, of course, for uh, for Army uh, in those years. Doc Blanchard and Glenn Davis winning the Heisman, um, but Navy had some really great teams in those years. And of course, like as you mentioned, uh, being ranked uh, number one and number two, or being being ranked number two, or I'm not sure who's ranked one or two in those games, but. Um, it, 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 it's it's just like those teams are great, and that's just the essence of wartime college football, uh, which I'm sure you know, Bobby, about yeah. all about Army and Navy success, and also just the the pre-flight teams, the naval station teams. It was truly a different time in college football where uh, the military teams benefited from guys, you know, getting, you know, I guess honestly, if we're being honest, buying themselves some time and playing college football, learning to be officers before, you know, during the Great War. Mm -hmm. uh, I do want to recommend some reading, uh, Bobby, if you have the time, and, and for the listeners. Uh, a Team for America by Randy Roberts. I read that book when I was in seventh grade, and it's, it details uh, the 1944 Army-Navy game and just the uh, Army's resurgence to, to, national, to national prominence that year. And, of course, after the 1944 game, uh, Douglas MacArthur halted, halted operations, so... Um, so his soldiers could celebrate uh, Army's win. Of course, Douglas MacArthur being an avid Army Black Knights uh, fan. He, of course, graduated from the academy, but he was team manager uh, in his years as a cadet, and he had envisioned uh, Mikey Stadium to be like the Yale Bowl, which I'm going to find a picture of the renderings of what he wanted uh, Mikey Stadium to be because I'm sure you'll find it quite fascinating. I would love to see that as a stadium traveler. <laughs> Another... Another year that stood out to me, and you did a really good job in, the, in one of the documentaries that you did talking about this game, was in 1983. Can you kind of talk about that one a little bit? Yeah, so that one was intriguing because, of course, uh, if you look at the Wikipedia page even, you see that Army-Navy was played in, Los er, in Pasadena for that one year, of course, being the Rose Bowl. And so the Rose Bowl had won the bid because similar to, say, the CFP, or, uh, yeah, the college football playoffs uh, final, um, there, there's a bidding process for Army-Navy. I mean, earlier this year, uh, that bidding process gave the Army-Navy game to five different cities over the next um, five years from 2023 to 2027, where they're going to Boston, Baltimore, um, the Washington Commanders Stadium, wherever that may be, and MetLife. So there's a bidding process, and the Rose Bowl won the bid. And, of course, in that time, the Army-Navy game, it had been in December, I think, once or twice, 
but it wasn't a usual fixture in the month of December. So um, that game was scheduled for Thanksgiving weekend, which um, caused some problems in that time for the NCAA because every for every year since 1947, the Army-Navy game has been nationally televised, I guess with the exception of one time where, I mean, a couple of stations in Louisiana and Arkansas saw Grambling versus Southern, saw the final part of Grambling versus Southern uh, before, I guess, you know, I, I guess it cut into the 1977 Army Navy game, but that's uh, that's another video I did. But um, but the Army Navy games are national televised since 1947, and that's been even in Army and Navy's worst years. So ABC, well, the NCAA, CBS, and ABC had to figure out who's going to broadcast this game and when, because in this time, conferences didn't have separate television deals. Uh, the NCAA negotiated the um, television schedule every single year. So they ended up putting the game on Black Friday. Um, they worked out a negotiation with uh, with Texas A and M and Texas to move their game to uh, to Black Friday as well. Or yeah, move their game to Black Friday, I believe. I'll have to check my script again. Move their game to Black Friday. Um, so we got not only a game at the Rose Bowl between Army and Navy, but a game on Black Friday for Army and Navy. Something we'll probably never see again. Um, but yeah, the '83 game at the Rose Bowl was one was once in a kind. It was one of a kind, and uh, I went. I went to the Rose Bowl earlier this year for the NFLPA Collegiate Bowl, and there is a bench outside of the stadium that is uh, dedicated by the superintendents at that time of Navy and Army. Um, I have a picture of me sitting on that bench, and it, it's a pretty cool homage to uh, to a once in a lifetime occurrence. That is cool. That uh, that's really cool. <clears throat> one thing you said there that's mind blowing to me in the landscape that we live in now of college football is the NCAA was in charge of the TV scheduling. <laughs> yeah. And I, and honestly, call me a purist, but I think it worked out because I, I will always root for the smaller schools. I grew up 10 minutes away from Holy Cross. So, I mean, I, you know, Holy Cross schools like Holy Cross and the Ivy League have been in my backyard. So I, I grew up rooting for those. I love the HBCUs as well. And, and honestly, I think it worked better for schools like that to get their, their, you know their their regional appearance. You know, once every couple of years on ABC, uh, where it might not be a national audience, but they're really building their regional fan bases. Because at its heart, we both know that college football is a regional game. So, mm-hmm. cheering for Holy Cross this weekend—that's for sure. I, I am too, but I'm not sure it's looking too good. <laughs> right, right. I mean, they beat us thirty-two to three in the spring season of 2021. But this is a, a way better Holy Cross team, so I think it'll be closer. But I just think the depth is just. Uh, I think there's just more depth for South Dakota State. I agree. <clears throat> I I'll throw out my favorite part of of this game is the ending of the game. Following the game, each school sings each other's fight song with each other. I think that that's I think it's such a cool thing just to show the com- camaraderie between the two uh, institutions. Yeah, it, it's something. It's something truly special. Um, after every Army home game. Um, Army will sing their alma mater, and after every Navy, you know, excuse me, every Navy home game, uh, Navy does the same. But both schools singing together, and for those of you that either you know turn off the TV after the game's over, which I, I urge, I urge uh, you know all the listeners out there not to. Um, the the whole the whole purpose or the whole goal is to sing second. You want your alma you want your alma yep. mater sing second. Um, so I mean, it, it's just it's just truly touching. Like it, it's it's touching. It's bittersweet in years when you when you lose and see those fine, those uh those seniors lot those, those seniors losing the last game, um but you know the West Point the West Point alma mater it, it, it gives you chills you know just uh you know at, at first at, at first um 
took a while for me to catch on, but it gives you chills once you listen to and, and sing the lyrics as well. And I will say, the Navy Blue and Gold, it, it's a catchy, it's definitely a catchy song. Um, you know, whether you have to edit that out, Bobby, or not, uh, we'll see. But, I mean, it's just, it's just a truly a great, a great sight to see both, uh, both schools uniting into, I mean, what, what they are, into something bigger. Absolutely. And, and I think one more thing. I, I hate neutral site games, honestly. I think games should always be played on campus. However, Army-Navy needs to be played on a neutral site because that's what this game it, it needs. It, it This is one of those games that transcends that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's cool. Um, you know, I, I'm the opposite, Bobby. Like, I, I love neutral site games because me the the historian in me loves uh the tourism aspect of it where it's like you bring fans to like to vacation and get away for the weekend over you know just because of football i think it's a great i think it's a great concept but i think it's cool in the coming years the army navy will be traveling throughout the northeast and mid-atlantic mm-hmm. i think it's great for the rivalry to be traveling kind of the same way that notre dame and navy does where different different crowds get i guess get exposure to just the history of this rivalry and just the two the two great institutions and the site uh, of the game. So I, I think it's great as well. If you ask me, though, um, I, I absolutely love seeing the game in Philadelphia. Uh, I, I mean, I think Philadelphia is mostly everyone's favorite site for the game. Um, I, I grew up watching the uh, the ESPN Classic reruns of, like, the games from the 90s and just seeing the game played at Veterans Stadium, just, like, seeing how much of a, I guess, how iconic of a backdrop, backdrop that was, despite all of its faults for the rivalry. Uh, I, I truly thought it was great. So I, I'm with you on that. Uh, love neutral side games, but it just means it, it. It's just perfect for Army Navy. I absolutely agree. It's perfect for 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 this game, and and I and I agree. I think it's going to be really cool seeing it traveling around the Northeast area. There, I think I think that's going to be great for the rivalry. Like you, like you said, I mean different different bases get to see it and uh, just i think it's i think it's fantastic absolutely i mean uh just just going ahead to like next year's game uh that game being in bought in uh in foxborough gillette stadium i mean you have um you know i guess i think uh there's a naval presence in in rhode island i think the naval i think the naval war college the navy war college is in uh Rhode Island, so that's a group of uh, of Navy servicemen and women that will be able to travel that game easier than per se, you know, driving all the way to Philadelphia or even uh, MetLife Stadium. So it, it's definitely a huge win for the rivalry. That's awesome. Well, well, before we conclude, I think it'd be really cool something you brought up uh, to kind of talk about the X's and O's going into this game because this game is is obviously a lot different than what the average football fan sees week in week out, especially in today's football where it's just spread everybody out and just throw it all over the field. Uh, so with, with the, uh, just the triple option both ways. I mean, I think it's just, uh, it's just a, a blast from the past and it's really, really, it's fun to watch in my opinion. Yeah, I, I agree with you for sure, because I, I think there was that feeling when army first switched back to the triple option. Um, of course, I'd seen Navy run the triple option, seeing my team run the option uh, for the first time in 2008. I just realized that there was something different about this system and just like the, the toughness and just the greatness of, uh, of seeing a fullback lead the team in rushing, uh, have just a breakout year running for over 1,300 yards in 2008. Um, so I thought it was great. But again, like uh, 
both schools are triple option schools, but I think what, what we've seen in every year of the RBD game since, honestly, I want to say since honestly 2012, we've seen both teams run kind of, I guess, shift away from the regular schemes and run, you know, different things, like, a, I guess, less and less triple option. I know last year, RB ran significantly less triple option during the game. Uh, there was a lot of a, a jet sweep motion with Tyrell, with Tyrell Robinson, a lot of shotgun, uh, and then maybe much of the same thing as well. They ran a good amount of pistol um, last year, too. So we, we will get a lot of doses of triple option, uh, but in, in each game, in each game recently, the teams are kind of shifted away in sort of a game of chess because Army-Navy, I, I think it's just a year-long game of chess between both these schools. And I'm sure you can attest to that too, just uh, be, being a, a Michigan fan where, uh, you, where I guess you're just playing chess with your biggest rival until the last game of the season. You want to pull something out that surprises, you know, say Ohio State. Absolutely. And and it's, it's funny that you bring up that pistol uh, comment because I saw Army play at Wisconsin last year. And a really good football game, by the way. But it was it was cool to see Army run that in a couple instances against Wisconsin because it was just like one of those things where you didn't expect them to do it, and they had a ton of success doing it. Yeah, so um, I, I don't remember exactly the sets that Army ran in that game. I know Army did try to run uh, up the middle a lot with uh, with their fullback uh, uh, last year against Wisconsin, which went, it went about as well as you would expect. I mean... It's a Big Ten front seven. I, I didn't think we were going to have much success doing that. We, we really didn't. Uh, so I think I think we pulled out the pistol and passing situations. Of course, you were there, Rob. You could probably remember better than I could. Uh, but again, like even I think I think both teams running sets like the pistol. Uh, both both teams will split out slot backs and run you know four wides. It makes uh, it makes it easier for them to come back in, in situations where behind. Where like last year the Armed Forces Bowl when Army was behind by a point in that game and they needed to drive for a field goal in less than a minute. They brought out a great passer, Jabari Laws, and they ran they ran a couple of quarterback draws. They ran some short passes out of the shotgun set, and they looked comfortable doing it because they've mixed it in their scheme um, throughout the year. So I, I, think, I think it helps in that fashion, even though, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that Army playing from behind, Army or Navy playing from behind is a solid bet uh, because... You know, I would still take a lot of other schemes, but it definitely helps a lot. It's funny that you mentioned that game, that bowl victory against Missouri, because that final drive was ran to perfection. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it absolutely was, and I think uh, I think that's kind of a, a good segue to look at both teams' makeup this year in terms of the quarterback position. We're, we're either if either team were to get in a situation where they were behind late in the game, I think both teams are equipped to make come from behind drive if they needed to. Uh, starting with Navy, uh, while Xavier Arline isn't as polished a passer, I, I think he's thrown an insanely low amount of passes in his three years at the academy. Uh, I'm not disrespecting Xavier Arline because I think he's a I think he's a great runner, but as a passer, he's still unpolished. And the same thing applies for Tiger Tyler of Army, two great guys that have ran the ball a lot in their careers, but have just really not much to show in the passing game. I think Tyler's thrown I think 50 passes in his career or so in, in three years as a starter. Uh, I'm pulling up Xavier Arline's stats right now. Um, and in three years at, at quarterback, Arline's thrown 40 passes. So uh, if both teams were to get in a situation like that, they have capable quarterbacks. Like for Army, Cade Ballard is a great passer. Well, I won't say great, but he's 
I think he's head and shoulders above the rest of the past the, the other two quarterbacks in Army being Jamel Jones and Tyler Tyler. And uh, Navy, uh, Navy's got Masai, Masai, Masai Maynard, who um, I, I'm not sure if you watched the Notre Dame game, Bobby, but he nearly led the uh, just an epic comeback against Notre Dame, just led them down the field, and Navy was an onside kick away from beating the Fighting Irish um, in Baltimore, a game that I was at. But uh, but I think both teams are well equipped to you know run a comeback drive if they had to. I was unable to see that game. I was at another game myself that day. I don't remember where I was exactly, but I remember coming home and watching the highlights and just thinking, man, if they could have pulled that out. Yeah, and I think that was a turning point in Navy season. I think that's when they truly turned things around uh, because, of course, next week they beat UCF uh, at the bounce house. So yeah. I think Navy is riding some momentum. compared. I mean, Army's won two in a row, but against uh, significantly weaker competition. Um, UConn, no disrespect, no disrespect probably to UConn, but, but UConn isn't, isn't UCF. Or Absolutely. And neither is UMass either by, by a long stretch. So uh, I think Navy has the edge season momentum, just considering the, the last six quarters of football they've played. But um, yeah, just a, just a great, I mean, you know, a great near comeback effort uh, on, on defense as well. I think both teams have strong defenses, but just to Navy. Uh, I'm not sure if you've seen the season, Bobby, that John Marshall's having. I was hoping that you'd put John Marshall on your All-American team. Uh, here I am giving a kudos to a, to a Navy player, but Marshall had four sacks against UCF. He, he did, you're right. He has 18 and a half TFLs in a year, so um, I think they have the edge on defense for Navy. It, it, he, he's had a heck of a season, that's for sure. Yeah, he's, he's amazing. And um, I was telling Jackson um, yesterday when we recorded our podcast, and I was previewing the game, I was like, who would have thought the pass rusher we're talking about before Army-Navy would be John Marshall, not Andre Carter, with Andre right. Carter getting a, getting first-round hype in uh, Mel Kiper's big board. Uh, that's not to say that Carter is uh, has had a bad season, but he's just been quieter than uh, anticipated. Well, it doesn't help that he's getting double and triple teamed almost every play, too. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that, too. <laughs> Well, I think that's going to bring us to the end of the, the episode. And I, I got to say, Omar, thank you so much for joining me. Oh, thanks so much, Bobby, for, uh, for inviting me. I, I just love talking academy football. Um, you know, it was my first love in the sport, just, just Army football. And I, I just think, I think college football is better whenever the academies are doing good. And that goes for Air Force, too. Uh, I, I was hoping, I, I hope that one year Air Force can break into either, I guess now the 12 team playoff and the nearest six because. It's just great for college football to see, um, you know, an academy team winning or running an unorthodox scheme and having to recruit differently than every other school in the country and still finding a way to win. Um, you know, I guess that being said, like Air Force having a strong year going 9-3 and three and being able to play a big 12 team in uh, the Armed Forces Bowl. So um, just I just, lo- I just love military football, and, you know, it's just great for college football. I couldn't agree more. Can you let the listeners know where they can follow you, listen to you? I mean, you, you put out some great documentaries. You have a great podcast. You do a lot of really good stuff. Thank you. I, I really appreciate the kudos, Bobby. It really means a lot. Um, so you can find me on YouTube and Spotify on the Between the Stripes podcast network. Uh, the picture for the channel on Spotify and YouTube is a picture of a, of a UCLA player being held up by his teammates at the end of the 1966 Rose Bowl. Uh, so, so just, uh, just, you see the powder blue, then that's, that's the channel. You hit the right one 
And I also do some writing for uh, redshirtsports.xyz. It's a new site starting up that covers mostly FCS football, but they've been so gracious to let me cover the uh, the FBS football, you know, the uh, the ungodly uh, FBS football bowl subdivision. And I've also done some freelance work for uh, US, USFL uh, Newsroom. So um, in the spring, uh, if I if I get some ideas for the U for for the USFL, then find my my writing there as well. But um, yeah, that that's this you can find me. I highly recommend it, everybody. It's, he's he does great work. <clears throat> Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. <laughs> I'm <Absolutely>. blushing. <laughs> Well, to all my loyal listeners, I thank you guys and gals so much for just the support you give me. Uh, it's it's a blessing to do this every every night. And uh, feel free to follow me personally at Coach underscore B Will on Twitter. Then the podcast Twitter account at TNT College Foot One. Uh, everybody have a good night. God bless. God bless.